to start with uh, asking you a little bit some about your background. Sure. Uh, you're a Maryland native and you're now a leading position with the largest developers in the U.S. and in the Mid-Atlantic region. So we just wanted to see on a personal level, how do you feel about being able to leave such a mark on your region? Well, I'll start with a slight correction. I call myself a native Washingtonian. Uh, I am a product of D.C. public schools and I grew up uh, primarily with my grandmother in the Petworth neighborhood. So. Um, my parents lived in Tacoma Park, a smidge across the Maryland line, um, but I'm a DC girl at heart. Um, and I will absolutely love it being able to, you know, build and, you know, create and have such a tangible result of your work right here in your hometown is amazing. So uh, I love it. I've stayed here on purpose throughout my career. I've had opportunities to uh, relocate and I've just chosen to stay right here close to home. That's great. Uh, all right. Um, so you, went, you graduated from Morgan State, uh, and there's definitely a long tradition of research and experimental degrees there. Uh, are you are employers aware of the high quality of public colleges? How do you feel? I think they're becoming more aware. I think in the early days when I was there, way back in the day, um, people hadn't really heard of some of the historically black colleges and universities. So. Um, I think that people have more awareness right now, um, but I think for public universities in general, I think there's more awareness because the graduates and alumni of the universities are now participating in the hiring and uh, the recruiting processes with the companies. And so they're going back to their uh, alma maters to recruit. And I think it's becoming more prevalent now. All right. Uh, could you give, tell us a little bit more about your uh position here at one of the largest developers in the U.S. Can you give us a little bit more background on what you do? Sure. Uh, I'm the executive vice president of construction, so I manage all of the construction for Hoffman and Associates. Um, the Wharf is, of course, our uh, largest project in the one people know most about, but we have several other projects um, in D.C. Uh, breaking ground this year. We have Waterfront Station that's right in Southwest, so staying pretty close to the Wharf. Uh, we have a large multi-mixed-use um, development in West Falls Church, which will be our first project in Virginia. And during the pandemic, we opened an office in Raleigh, so we have a large mixed-use development there as well, Seaboard Station, that broke ground in January. So we opened the office and started our first project uh, under the pandemic, so it's been pretty exciting. Oh, wow. Uh, a little bit more about the profession. Uh, how do you feel the profession in the industry is coming along when it comes to doing enough to promote graduates from public institutions in the construction industry? Well, I always feel like we could do a little bit more, but I do feel like um, we've gotten a lot of traction lately um, because the graduates are just so talented in, in strong uh, employees. And so I do think that there may be um, needs to be a more intentional outreach at some of the companies to just make sure that we're recruiting at these universities and really fostering a culture of diversity of thought. Um, so regardless of the school, the size, you know, the location and demographics, I, I think there could be a little more effort to, to be intentional with that. Yep. Uh, you mentioned the war, it's one of the largest war. projects in DC. Uh, how do you manage such a large project uh, and that's has such an op such a opportunity to transform DC's waterfront so profoundly. Yeah, it's um, I mean, it's overwhelming at times, but 
it's like any other project. You kind of manage it one component, one building, one contract, one day at a time, just uh, carefully orchestrating all the details. And it takes a, a lot of people. So um, I would be nothing without my team and uh, the support of the design teams and the contractors that we work with. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a collective effort, best way to say it. Thank you. Uh, so Saitop um, also have a history of working uh, for two other large players in the area, Clark Construction and Balfour Beatty. Uh, how was, what was your path to leadership in these organizations? Uh, it seems like it was a long and rocky one, but um, I started my career at George Hyman Construction as an intern. And so George Hyman was one of the companies owned by the Clark Enterprises um, before the merger, so Clark Construction. I had a four-year internship there through a program called Inroads uh, Greater Washington, which is an internship program for minority youth. And um, I I started at Clark my um, summer that I graduated high school. So they didn't quite know what to do with me. So they put me uh, in, an, in a rotation that they use for the project engineer. So the rotation that the students coming out of college do. So you're in estimating, you're out in the field, you're working with a field engineer. And so you kind of rotate it through the program. And so I got to know the company um, as an intern. It, the inner workings, the executives, I just had so much exposure. Um, and because I was local, I also uh, would come home and, and I needed money. So I would come home and work <laughs> on the holiday breaks. And so I worked with the school board. I worked in the mail room. Um, I did all sorts of things that seemed pretty menial at the time. But what, what it taught me was who's who within the organization? Who do I go to with these issues? Uh, who manages different components? And so um, I can remember very early in my career when the president of um, George Hyman and now Clark um, came up to me and called me by name in a room full of other like very junior engineers. And I felt the value of that internship at that point. And I do think it kind of skyrocketed my career. I ended up staying with Clark, of course, when I graduated. Um, and I just kind of climbed the ranks from office engineer through project manager. My last project was, the, my first project was the Children's Hospital. We did an addition there, um, the what's now the emergency room and MRI wing, um, and then some rooftop additions. I was there about five years doing different uh, additions and renovations. And my last project was the uh, Edison Place Pepco headquarters on 9th Street. So just to talk about how my career kind of grew from those little um, renovation and addition projects at Children's that kind of added up to about $40 million worth of work to this office building that was, I don't know, 50 or 60 million at that time. So that's awesome. Yeah. And it was a tough decision to leave because I felt like I had a great opportunity at Clark. Um, but Balfour, I think I was trying to feel like I needed to leave the nest. I needed to see something different. Um, and so I made a decision to move over to Balfour. There were a lot of familiar faces from the early days at Clark um, because the leadership had kind of migrated there. And I joined um, and just, I think, started to embrace my project management duties and really excelled there and started to take on just larger and larger 
projects. So I think my first project um, at Syntex at the time, because they were acquired by Balfour, was like a $40 million office building um, right near um, Union Station, where CNN is today. Yeah. And uh, it grew to my last projects there were probably over 100 million to 150 million. And I headed the acquisitions group um, at the time that I left. So that was like another one of those uh, rocks through the window where uh, the president at the time, Leon Blondin, came to me and he said, I'd like to see if you'd like to come in and head up this acquisitions group. And so that's purchasing, estimating, and pre construction. And I was like, no way. I was like, <laughs> no way. I managed the projects. I was a project executive. I was like, you know, I, this is what I do over here. I'm not an estimator. And he said, I don't need another estimator. He said, I need someone who can manage the process, who brings diversity in a different perspective, operations. And so he kind of talked me into taking this incredible opportunity. So that's probably a conversation for a different day to talk about how we sometimes, uh, you know, discount ourselves and the value that we're adding. But uh, I did end up taking that role for two years uh, and then got the call, the big call, uh, to come and join the team at the war. And um, that was uh, Paul Nassetta, who was my predecessor at Hoffman, just an incredible man. I've worked for him three times in my career. Um, and just an uh, incredible builder and leader. He called and he said, I think I've got an opportunity for you. We really need someone with your project management skills. And I said, well, I don't know anything about development. Here I go again, right? With this thing. I don't know anything about development. And he said, but you know how to build it. And he said, that's what we need. And I snuck in one night for an interview, met the full leadership team, and joined the wharf um, maybe three weeks later. And so it's just, uh, that's kind of how it all happened. Things yeah. fell into place, some great people and mentors in my career. Um, but that's, that's the little story. That's impressive. Uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about diversity. Uh, the AIA stats show that there's so few women that have, uh, are in our industry and even less when it comes to women of color. What do you think we can do to improve equity and opportunities available? So I think it's kind of the same discussion as the public universities where there just needs to be a very, very intentional effort. To, and it starts with recruiting. How do we get women into the industry and, and get them interested at an early point in their careers. Maybe even reaching back to how do we get them interested in STEM? And I think that's important, right? Just bringing them into the programs within the universities, training them at the universities, and then retainment and promotions within the organization. How do we keep them engaged, put them in leadership positions, uh, and grow them internal to the companies. And so that's something that takes a commitment, I believe, from the very, very top of the organization. Uh, there needs to be commitment and resources and holding people accountable for it as part of the business practice. And I think that's where some companies fall short and other companies do it much better and it's a lot more organic. I felt so, I was so impressed when I said I snuck into Hoffman that night for my interview, um, just the diversity in the leadership of such a small company. I mean, we're doing big things, but as an organization, we're a fairly small company. And um, the 
the executive leadership team had two female uh, vice presidents, one an executive vice president, uh, an openly gay partner. I mean, just a diverse group of people. And there, there, there didn't have to be a mission or you know a directive for that. It just happened because that's how they grow within the organization. And I think that's what I hope other companies aspire to be, where it doesn't have to be so structured and, and you don't have to have a law or a rule or whatever, that it just happens and that uh, in the organization embraces it. So I, I hope that answered the question. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. I mean, I have two daughters and I definitely definitely understand the importance of like really trying to foster this uh, creativity in STEM and like just the field in general. Uh, do, you, do you see yourself as a mentor for young leaders in the industry? I think I, I think I am. I, uh, I try again, it's like one of those things I try to be very intentional. I get a lot of um, self-satisfaction out of giving to others and training and developing. So not only like with my staff, I, I put a lot into their personal development, but I um, mentor with ULI, so the Young Leaders Program, and I have an incredible group of the next leaders of our industry um, from developers and construction companies. I try to mentor um, through different programs at the wharf. We have students who uh, go to the local elementary schools and uh, through the public library there. And I think the thing that's most rewarding is I'm a mentor for a young group of girls at the Maya Angelou Public Charter School. It's the Young Women's Leadership Group. Uh, and they're young ladies um, that are ninth grade through 12th grade. And you know, now I've been in the program three years. So I've had some of my seniors graduate and others are reaching that point. And it's just so exciting. I think the biggest challenge is not taking them all home with me because you know they have challenges. I mean, I think the children today are just exposed to things that, you know, we weren't coming up and um, you want to protect them and you want to grow them. So I just try to share the stories and give them a, a safe space. Um, but I think mentoring is not only giving back to them, but I get so much out of it and um, I think it helps me to grow. So I do think it's important. I have had some terrific mentors and, and I still maintain those relationships today. So I, it's very important to me and I encourage other people to do it as well. well that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Um, it's, what, I was going to open up the questions a little bit. I just had one last question. I wanted to ask, I mean, you're, you're an executive vice president and an essential figure to the development of the region. How do you see the region going in terms of development in the future? Yeah, we're kind of in an unusual time with um, the, you know, the pandemic and what we're going to look like and what people will want and need for living spaces and office spaces um, after the pandemic. So I think for us, although we continue to move, we know that there's a, a need for housing at all affordability levels that will continue to be an issue at almost crisis level, I think, for our region. Um, but what it's going to look like, I think we've already started with our design partners to contemplate changes in some of the designs to open some of the spaces, the living spaces up, to change the amenities um, to put to more separate quarters, those sorts of things that we didn't really have to think about before. So do people want the, the micro units and studios or do they now need, you know, one or two bedrooms in a den for to have a separate working space? So 
lots of discussions about what we're looking like is where if you think about it, we're planning projects that won't open for three or four years. And so you're trying to predict um, what's gonna happen and what people need. So it's been an interesting time to say the least. Definitely, thank you. Uh, so questions, I think Paola has posted the first question uh, from the audience. Uh, she said, being a PM for a scale of projects you lead is a real challenge. What are the tricks you use to be successful? Uh, I think uh, that's interesting, the tricks. I um, think the most important things to, to managing the projects is being able to manage through the details. And so I think being organized uh, is probably paramount. That's probably the key success factor, staying organized, um, meeting, com making commitments and meeting them. Um, everyone has a role to play. I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. Everyone really has a role to play and you have to make sure that you're managing your role and holding yourself accountable. So making commitments, communicating, staying organized, um, knowing the details. There's no one who should be more of an expert on your piece of the work on your role than anyone else. And, and I challenge my staff with that. You're the expert. You're, you're the captain of the ship and people are looking to you for direction. So, you know, all of these things need to come together to help you formulate the plan, execute the plan. And then I think the piece that is missing sometimes is revisiting that plan, like a monitoring program. How are you controlling the process? How are we doing? Kind of checking in with one another. How are we doing? Are we on track or are we missing the mark? Um, and then recorrect, you know, redirecting. And that was something, I think a big lessons learned uh, on phase one of the work that we took into phase two. It was just sort of blow and go uh, and everyone's working and everyone's uh, trying to get the project done, but there were pieces missing and some things that weren't coming together. And you sort of get to this big point where it's like at critical mass, instead of like maybe taking time to sort of pause and say, how are we doing? How are we benchmarking against the goals that we set um, at the start of the project? And so if I had to capture it all, it's sort of setting goals, working to those goals and holding yourselves accountable for it, and then revisiting it at some point uh, to finish successfully. I always say finish strong is my big thing for the team. And so finish strong, I think all those things have to come together. Yep, you gotta follow through on your shot. <laughs> uh, another question from Auda. She wanted to know, what is your advice for finding a mentor for you to connect with? So I'll, I'll get on my soapbox for a second for the company. I think the company needs to have a plan in place because sometimes um, you want to be a little more structured in that mentorship program uh, so that you're connecting people with needs. And so sometimes that need is with the, the manager or the more senior person needs to, to be forced into connecting with someone. And sometimes, you know, um, for example, if I have a young female employee who really needs a strong female role model, you'll make that, you know, you'll force that connection until it becomes a more organic process. And then for the mentee, I would suggest that if there isn't a structure in place and there's someone who's doing something that you want to do or has background 
um, where you think you can gain some experience or knowledge to make that connection. I think most people are so open to talking to you and sharing ideas and being a sounding board, but they may not be the initiator. So sometimes you have to take control of your own destiny in a sense and do and, and make that connection. And don't be afraid of rejection. Not, not everyone's um, a mentor or has the time to commit, but keep trying, you know, keep trying. I think that's one thing if I had to tell my younger self and, and give some advice to never be discouraged by the first no, to just keep pushing and keep going because uh, someone out there is going to be the person that you need or give you the yes that you need, set the opportunity. So just don't give up. That's great advice. Uh, another question from Irene. What are some advice points you give to the girls who mentor if you want to get into STEM programs? Her daughter, who's still young at nine, is showing interest in engineering. I just I think as a mom, foster that um, that interest and try to open her mind to it. Let her see what it's about. I'm sure you work with some amazing engineers and can bring her into the different fields to help make that selection early. I think, um, you know, there's so many programs in the schools now that are available, maybe finding that connection at school or the program. They even had STEM summer camps that some of the students um, were attending. So finding opportunities to just sort of take that seed and, and water it and let it grow. Um, and, and I think that's what girls need, that reinforcement so that they're not discouraged along the way. They'll see other people who are interested and really make it meaningful for them. Thank you. Uh, what drives you to take on new challenges is a question from Federico. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think it's my crazy personality. I love, uh, I'm, I'm a problem solver. Uh, I, lo I love details and sort of uh, fixing things. Um, so I think part of it is just driven by my personality. And then the other part is that I don't have a choice. I have to, <laughs> I have to lead and have to, um, you know, check, you know, take care of my team and support my team. I was just telling someone today that I really feel like leadership is uh, a service that we do for others, right? So anyone can be a manager of tasks and duties, but when you're leading someone, there's that behavioral piece that steps away and you're giving them the support that they need. And so I think I, you know, just by default, I'm the person who has to tackle the challenge. There's no one really to hand it off to. So, thanks. Uh, question from Carlos on what's the size of the team that you manage? So, um, I guess it depends on like what team. My immediate core team of construction managers, there are 10 construction managers, and then there's a quality control team of five. Um, and so, and that really is headed by a very senior um, vice president who doesn't need any guidance, <laughs> any guidance from me, but we have a small core team and then all of the general contractors in there as well. Um, I was trying to think about whether I included the Raleigh office in that, so maybe 12. <laughs> I can't forget them. All right, all right. Question from Catalina. What do you do to stay motivated and positive for your team? Ooh, um, it's hard. Some days it's it's very hard not to get caught up um, in the challenge that, that is right in front of you. And uh, I actually got some good feedback from Monty Hoffman um, 
maybe a month and a half ago, we walked the job together and I was just kind of talking about the problems, what, you know, all of the issues that we were facing. And he's like, time out. He was like, just take a look at where we are right now. 10 months, you know, into the pandemic, building standing, glass going. And so he was like, sometimes you have to step away from the day-to-day and reflect on what you've done, what you have accomplished. And that was so powerful for me because you know what, we're so heads down into the details and you know dealing with what we need to deal with every day that it is difficult to see to see what you've accomplished, to look in the rear view mirror, if that makes any sense. So that has been a little bit more motivating for me. And I realized that I needed to share that with my staff um, because sometimes I'm driving them and not really thinking about um, acknowledging their successes and everything. I think the key motivator is just getting it done and I enjoy it. I love so much what I'm doing. Um, I really am starting to feel like as I approach my 50th birthday, I'm really feeling like I found my purpose. You know, I've always been thinking like, what is my purpose and what am I supposed to do? But I feel like obviously I found it because I'm so happy doing it. I can't think of doing anything else. Um, And that motivates me as well. Seeing people uh, kind of grow and be successful and enjoy working with me. Like when people wanted to leave phase one and go into phase two, that was a huge motivator for me to like, okay, we've got, we figured it out and we've got something good here together and and let's go get it. Um, So that that was a big motivating factor. That's amazing. Uh, I think I just wanted to close out to see, uh, are there any, uh, if you have any recommended uh, books or resources that people that you'd recommend to the team? Books? I'm sorry, was it books? I, saw, I was books. reading. Do you recommend in closing that uh, follow-up, good reading? Um, oh, I love books. So I um, just recommended to a friend last night what happy people know, um, and I can send you the author, but it's an incredible book about what I was talking about, purpose, um, you know, finding your purpose. And it talks about people who, when you're just happy and fulfilled, um, that you're like, that things open up in your life, in your spirit. And I always give as a gift um, the Four Agreements um, by Don Miguel Ruiz, I think. And it is, uh, it's an amazing book. And I try to live by those life principles. I do think that they are project management principles also. So which is why I give it to my staff. Um, but I, I think that that's a good one. And probably come up with some others. But I really sort of nerd out on uh not necessarily self-help, but sort of core principles and values. Um, that's my favorite read. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for your time and uh, joining us today. Uh, it was great and insightful listening and talking with you. Thank so. you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Right, you too. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Maria. Thank you.